It's a joy to be uh, here worshiping our God together. Let's turn to his word now. Our Old Testament reading is Isaiah 52, verse 13 through chapter 53, verse 12. Let's give our full attention to God's holy word. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. In our New Testament reading and our sermon text here is Matthew chapter 8, 1 through 17. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. 
And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father, this is the one to whom you will look, the one who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at your word. We pray that by your grace, by your spirit, you would give us humble, contrite hearts that tremble before your word, that hear your word in faith. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. It's been a little while since we were in Matthew's Gospel. It's been a few weeks. Last time we were wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. Of course, that's Matthew chapters 5 through 7, the big, big text of, of teaching there. Uh, that's, that's Matthew's giving us the content of, of some of Jesus preaching. Jesus is out. He's traveling through Galilee, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Matthew is, is telling us, and here's what Jesus is preaching, right? And gives us the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount there, there's a statement that bears on what follows in chapter 8, where we are this morning. At the end of chapter 7, listen to how the people respond to Jesus after they've heard him preach. The people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus finished preaching and the people were marveling at him. They were astonished at the authority with which he spoke. No one else speaks like this. He's speaking like God himself, like the king of Israel himself, with authority. 
He's, he's saying that His Word is above, is more authoritative than the tradition of the scribes and Pharisees. He's saying His Word is on par with the Old Testament. That He's speaking the very Word of God to them. And, and He comes in the Sermon on the Mount and he demands, he demands loyalty and submission to Him exclusively. He says, everything depends on your relationship with Me. He speaks with authority and the people are shocked who is this man? All right, Joseph's son from Nazareth, a little backwater town. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Who is this speaking with this authority? Of course, it's the Christ. It's the King coming, proclaiming His kingdom. So that's how chapter 7 ends. But as we move into chapter 8, we see that Jesus, even though He's no longer in this section of Matthew where He's preaching this long discourse that we get of the Sermon on the Mount, He's continuing to proclaim the kingdom and to bring the kingdom also with His actions. His words and His actions are a proclamation of the kingdom. And as we see Him here in chapter 8, He's demonstrating the same authority again in how He walks and lives and acts he comes and he heals. We, we just read this in Matthew chapter 8. He comes and he goes among the people and he heals them with the awesome power of his word. At the same time, though, even as he comes with this incredible authority where he speaks and immediately it happens, at the same time he comes gently, doesn't he? He comes as the suffering servant come to share in and bear the suffering of his people. He uses his authority not to lord it over people, but to serve them. He comes to heal and to suffer with us and for us. Chapter 8 tells us this over and over again in these verses that we've read. Showing us Christ, our Savior, our authoritative suffering servant. It gives us four episodes that show us this. The first three are specific instances of healing that Jesus does. And then the final one is sort of the conclusion to the whole thing where Matthew drives home his main, his main point with a quotation from Isaiah 53. So we're going to walk through these four episodes here, uh, seeing Jesus' authority on display as he serves and suffers for his people. The first one, then, verses 1 to 4, we see the leper. The leper. So Jesus has finished his sermon on the mount. He comes down from the mountain, and the text tells us great crowds are following him. Uh, lot, lots of people are there. And then suddenly, into the scene comes this leper. Matthew says, Behold, a leper. Suddenly, there's this leper there. You can imagine the crowds pulling back in disgust. A leper? Lepers aren't welcome in society, right? Lepers aren't welcome in the temple because they are ceremonially unclean. Listen to the rule for lepers from Leviticus 13. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. But here he comes, right, into the crowds, filthy, unclean. You can imagine people 
who is who does he think he is coming up and demanding Jesus' attention? He has no place here. But the leper knows what saving faith always knows. That the kingdom of heaven is for the poor in spirit, even as Jesus has said. But he comes up to Jesus. He comes right up to him and he gets on his knees and he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. There's no doubt in this leper's mind. He knows Jesus can cleanse me. He knows that this is his only hope, that Jesus can cleanse him. The only question in his mind is, will he cleanse me? I know you can, Lord. Are you willing? How does Jesus respond to the leper? He does two things. First, he touches him. Matthew puts this in slow motion so we don't miss it in verse 3. Jesus put out his hand and touched him. Do you hear the redundancy there? He puts out his hand and touched him. Matthew doesn't want us to miss this. What happens when you touch someone who's ceremonially unclean, according to the Old Testament? You become unclean. They don't become clean when you touch them. You become unclean. But when Jesus touches, He makes clean by His touch. Jesus is taking on the uncleanness of the leper. He's saying, I will bear that. I'll take that on and bear that. You take my holiness. You take my righteousness. You take my, my, my right standing before God. So Jesus, Jesus touches him. And then he speaks. He says, I am willing. Be clean. Precious words. Jesus says, I am willing. And immediately the leper is clean. Right, we see the authority of his word. He says it and it's done. All the authority of God himself saying, let there be light. And there was light. Jesus says, be clean. And the leper is clean. His skin heals instantly. And he's cleansed. We see this authority here of Jesus. We see him tell the leper to go to the priest. Right? Go to where you were not allowed to go before. Go to the temple. You're clean now. Go fulfill the law of Moses. He's upholding the law. But, so we see Jesus' authority, but even more than that here, we're seeing his willingness to cleanse and to heal with this leper. He tells the leper that he's a willing Savior. He's, he's reminding all of us how willing he is, that he did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve the weak and the lowly, to come after those who are cut off outside the camp, not allowed into the presence of God because of how unclean they are in their sin before Him. That's exactly who He came for. And He is more than willing. He is eager to save the lost. J.C. Ryle writes this, Jesus is never tired of doing us good. He knows that we are a weak and feeble people in the midst of a weary and troublous world. No heart can feel for us so much as the heart of Christ. Jesus is willing to save and to cleanse. No matter how unclean you are, He's willing to save and to cleanse. The leper gives us a wonderful example. Come right up to Jesus. Lord, You can make me clean. I know You're willing to make me clean. Please do it. 
Jesus cleanses the leper. The second person we see here, the second episode is with this Gentile centurion. The Gentile. After Jesus heals the leper, some point, some time passes, but he enters the city of Capernaum and um, again, probably pushing through the crowd that's around him, comes a Roman centurion. Now, if you read Luke's Gospel, it gives us a similar account. I think it's telling the same story. Uh, it tells us that the centurion actually sent some, some, uh, some Jews on his behalf to go ask Jesus to, to, to do something for him. Matthew's Gospel is condensing it here and saying that it's the, centurion, it's the word of the centurion himself coming to Jesus to make this request. So the centurion comes, he sends his word to Jesus, and he is pleading with Jesus. It's remarkable, isn't it? It's not something you saw every day in Israel. A Roman officer begging a lowly, poor Jew for something. But the centurion knows who's really poor and lowly. He knows that he's a Gentile with no part in the kingdom of God in himself. He knows that Jesus is Lord. He addresses him as Lord here in the text. He comes humbly to him. When Jesus says, I'll come heal your servant, the centurion says, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. He knows his sin and and unworthiness before the Lord, that he has no right here to demand anything from Jesus, but he's throwing himself on the willingness of Jesus and the grace of Jesus. And he comes trusting Christ's authority. That's what's really especially highlighted here with the Gentile centurion. It's Christ's authority that's highlighted for us. Listen to the centurion's words to Jesus. He says, Only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, Go, and he goes. And to another, Come, and he comes. And to my servant, Do this, and he does it. Centurion's saying, I recognize that you have God-given authority, Jesus, that you're the Messiah sent by God and that you carry God's own authority. And I know that when you speak with that authority, it's done. He, he's just, I understand that. I'm a centurion, right? I have authority given me by the emperor. And when I speak, my servants do what I tell them to do. And he's saying, Jesus, I recognize your sovereign authority. Jesus is astonished by this man's faith. He marvels at this man's faith. He says, here is someone who gets it, right? He, and it's a Jew. It's not a Jew. It's a Gentile. It's this Roman centurion who recognizes that Jesus has this great authority. Jesus marvels that this man believes that he has this authority. Right? Not, not because it's a marvel that anyone would believe he has this kind of authority, because he does, but because so many people don't see it. Jesus says that this is not going to be an isolated incident, a, a, a Gentile, by God's grace, recognizing the authority of the Messiah where the Jews don't see it. He says that the nations of the world are going to come streaming into the kingdom. He says, I say to you, many will come from east and west, all these Gentiles, and they'll sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He's he's reflecting on exactly what the Old Testament promises. 
Isaiah 49.6, It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Or Isaiah 59.19, They shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun. For He will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives and a Redeemer will come to Zion. Jesus is pointing out that the Gentiles are going to come in. And this, is, this is, uh, uh, reflects the same thing we saw earlier in Matthew's Gospel. Right at the very beginning there in chapter 2, uh, we see the Magi, these Gentiles coming from far away to come worship the Christ. Israel's own king, Herod, doesn't get it. But these Gentiles from far away, they come and bow down and worship Christ. They were the Magi. Here, here's, this, here's this Gentile centurion. And, and it's a sign for Israel that a great ingathering of the nations is coming. That the nations are going to come and join the kingdom of heaven and be brought into the people of God. But even as these are wonderful words that Israel should have rejoiced over, that the prophecy was being fulfilled, Jesus gives a warning to them. He says in verses 11 to 12, I say, many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus means those who are Jews naturally, sons of the kingdom naturally, born into the inheritance, born into the covenant family, but who haven't repented and trusted in Him. Jesus isn't talking to the centurion at this point. He's turned and now He's addressing the Jewish crowds. He's saying, watch out that this doesn't happen to you. That if you, that if you don't follow this Gentile's example of trusting in Me as the Christ, then you're going to be thrown out of the kingdom. He's saying it's not ethnicity or upbringing or or your place in the outward visible covenant family that secures your place in the kingdom of heaven. It's me. It's faith in me. Jesus gives this warning to the crowds. And he turns to the centurion. He says, go your way. And as you've believed, so let it be done for you. Just like that, immediately... His servant is healed. Jesus, His authority is over every atom in the universe. Instantly, the servant is made well. That's the second episode. Showing us Christ's authority. Now we come to the third one. Highlighting, again, Jesus' authority and His willingness as our Savior. This one's short. This one's about a woman. Verses 14 to 15. We're hardly given any details here, just a few. We're told that Jesus goes on now and he enters Peter's house. Peter, of course, one of his disciples, he goes into Peter's house and he finds Peter's mother-in-law is lying down sick with a fever. It's striking, isn't it, that there's no mention of faith here. No one coming up to Jesus and asking for healing. Um, Contrast, I think, with the leper coming so desperately to Christ and the Gentile coming so desperately to Christ. Did Peter ask Jesus, Lord, my mother is uh, my mother-in-law is sick. Please come healed. Or did he think that would be an imposition? Maybe he thought Christ wouldn't be willing or didn't have the authority. We don't know. The text doesn't say. But I think there's a hint of this here. 
But Jesus comes in. He finds Peter's mother-in-law. And he's gracious. He initiates. He goes up, sees her lying sick, and he goes up. And without waiting for a request or without waiting for a profession of faith, he goes up to Peter's mother-in-law. And again, he touches her. And as soon as he touches her, the fever leaves her. She's made well, instantly made well. She gets up and starts serving him. If you've ever had a fever, you know that you're not usually jumping up to serve someone as soon as you're starting to feel a little bit better. Right? This, is, this is instantaneous healing, showing Christ's total authority. He makes her body completely whole and well. Notice Jesus' compassion. Again, we've seen this already with both the uh, leper and the Gentile, now this woman. His compassion is marvelous. Who does he keep on healing? It's the outcasts and the lowly Gentiles and lepers and, and women who don't have the same status in their culture as men. We also see Christ's authority again. He touches her and immediately she is made well. Why is Jesus doing all this? So he's done three healings now. What's the, what's the point of it? This is what we see in our final heading, the final episode here about the suffering servant. Verses 16 to 17. Jesus comes, uh, e- evening comes, and Jesus goes outside the house and there's a crowd gathered around and it's all the demon-possessed and all the sick, right? Drawn like a magnet to Christ. And Jesus goes and he goes out among them and with his all-powerful word, he heals, he casts out demons, he touches, he makes whole, he makes well, showing over and over and over. He's willing to save and he's able to save. Why is he doing it? Is he just being compassionate? Is it just humanitarian aid that he's handing out here? Right? Like a disaster comes and, and, and you know, the Red Cross grows in and, and, and they're, they're, just, they're, they're showing tangible acts of mercy and kindness to people. Is that what he's doing? Well, Jesus, of course, has compassion on those who are suffering. But there's more than that going on here, isn't there? We're told in verse 17 why Jesus is doing this. It says, That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Matthew says, This is fulfilling Isaiah 53. One of the servant songs of Isaiah about the servant of the Lord, the Messiah who would come and save God's people. In Isaiah 53, in particular, we get a picture of this servant as the suffering servant who comes and enters into the very depths of the pain of his people and takes it on himself. Isaiah 53, we've read these words already. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As, as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, he's the one who comes and enters into the suffering of Israel and takes it on himself and, and, and experiences it himself. That's what we see as he lays his hand on the leper and as he touches the woman with the fever. He is taking on their diseases. He is taking on their suffering, showing solidarity with them, 
in their experience of this suffering. But, but more than that, he hasn't just come to share an experience of, of their pain with them, but to take it from them and to give them something else in exchange. Isaiah 53 goes on, verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. Jesus says, give me your uncleanness and take my holiness. Give me your wounds and receive my wholeness. Give me your sin. Receive my righteousness. Give me your condemnation. Receive my mercy. That's what he's doing over and over with these healings. He's saying, I'm the Messiah. This is why I've come. Yes, with this awesome authority, but I have this authority to put my neck under the yoke of obedient suffering to the Father that I take the pain you deserve and I give you wholeness. He's bringing the kingdom as he suffers on behalf of sinners. And all of this, of course, is pointing forward to his cross. The climactic moment of entering into the suffering of his people and taking it from them to give them his peace and to give them eternal life and cleanness before God. You ever wonder why Jesus doesn't, right, continue to heal in these kinds of ways? We read the story here of Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. Perhaps you read that and you think, my mother-in-law is sick. Wouldn't it be nice if he would just come and touch her and she'd get up and be whole again? Right? My loved one's sick. My spouse is sick. Why doesn't Jesus come? Why doesn't he? He's got the authority. You're telling me he has the willingness. Why doesn't he heal me? Why doesn't he heal my loved one? Some people say it's because you don't have enough faith. Muster up some more faith. It's not true at all. The healing miracles that Jesus does are not in response to great faith, but they are there to display the grace of God. And we see that men in Scripture of great faith were not always answered. Paul prays three times, Lord, take it away. I'm suffering. Take it away. And the Lord says, no, no, no. So the Lord doesn't always heal. What's going on here in Matthew and in the Gospels as we see Jesus' healing ministry is a unique time in history. Yes, God continues to work by His mighty power, and at times He does heal in wonderful and baffling ways. But not like He did then. Why? Because in, in the Gospels, Jesus is establishing His kingdom. He's inaugurating the kingdom. And, and what's happening is that the end-time reality of resurrection life is breaking into history and these little pictures of what's going to come. All, right, all these people that Jesus heals are going to get sick again and die one day. Jesus is, is pointing them not to the temporary relief that he's going to give them from their suffering, but to the resurrection life they'll have in him. Jesus is giving them a promise, isn't he? And he's giving them a promise, and he's giving us a promise as well. One day, right, he is going to return, speak that all-powerful word, put out his hand and touch us, and make us whole forever, body and soul. 
And that's our great hope. Right? The, the healing miracles not only point to how He enters into our suffering and takes that on and is going to die on the cross for our sins, but also to His resurrection where He proclaims everlasting life, body and soul for all who trust in Him. When He will come and make all things new by His awesome authority and His tender compassion. One day He will, if you're trusting in Him, make your body whole again too. Wait on Him. Look to the promise He gives you. Brothers and sisters, we have a perfect Savior, don't we? Awesome power, tender compassion, willingness to save, all authority in heaven and on earth, but He's come to use it to seek and to save the lost. Come to the Lord Jesus. Ask Him for cleansing and for Him to give you His mercy, to take your sin and to give you His righteousness. Put all your faith and confidence in Him. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, thank You for this Savior, this glorious Savior that You've provided for us. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is so strong and who is so willing to save us. We pray that we would put our trust in Him and rest in Him and know the promise that He gives of everlasting life. We pray this for His sake. Amen.